0: Hey, everyone, it's Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, back with another episode of Inspired Banking, a Hyosung podcast. If you're listening to this episode, you're listening to a part two of a two-part conversation, which means if you missed part one, probably want to give this a pause, go back and watch part one with our guests so you can be fully acquainted with where the conversation picks up. But if you did catch the last episode, then congratulations, you've got some great content to sink your teeth into. Today's part two of two episode on Inspired Banking continues our conversations with Hyosung's Sung's Bill Buddy, VP of Banking Strategy and Solutions. And he's joining us on Inspired Banking to dive more into the cash movement. Journey. More specifically, we're going to break down the net effects to the entire cash ecosystem from the customer to the financial institutions when uh, cash management at large is improved. Why focusing on improving cash management operations can improve the experience for the end user and overall why this is worth the investment, right? What's the ROI? How do you measure the KPIs? We're going to break all that down today. Let's go ahead and continue with our podcast with Mr. Bill Buddy here on part two of this Inspired Banking Podcast. Well, I think that tees us up perfectly then to get into cash recycling more specifically. So let's take a pause and talk about the cash movement journey at an ATM. So I'm an end user. I put in my $20. uh, And then I also want to take out $100, right? Uh, In a traditional ATM... Those are two different sets of cash, and managing them and tracking them are also, like we broke down, very labor-intensive processes. So, break down for me where cash recycling, um, I guess, actually removes a lot of those steps in day-to-day operation, and then how the steps of managing um, all the bills in sort of the, the deposit side versus the withdrawal side of the ATM how that process doesn't get eliminated completely, but gets, uh, I guess, eased into a, a more efficient process for, sure. um, you know, a bank or a retailer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, um, I mean, the, so the recycling mechanism inside is going to take the money in and, and spit the money out as customers come up to the device, right? right. So and it's the same set of money, right? It's the same set of money. The, the thing, though, is that it, real life, in all things, is still just like cash. It's a little messy, right? So nothing's (laughs) going to always balance equally from a customer approach perspective, from a usage perspective. So even a recycling ATM is still going to need some attention because um, you may have 30% more people coming to that device to take money out than depositing money. right? right? Um, In a pre-recycling capable ATM, All of those deposits would have gone into one side that doesn't touch the other side, right? right? And that bin slowly fills up and then, well, sometimes quickly fills up depending on usage. And you've got to go in and and empty it and sort all that money and and, um, get it ready for use, whether it's going to be used in the branch or whether it's going to be shipped to a central facility, whatever. Um, Likewise, customers coming in to withdraw funds um, just— have a big stack of money that gets lower and lower and lower inside that ATM until it empties, and you got to refill it. So, kind of that recycling mechanism marries those two together, right? So it's one one mechanism at that point where the it's the cash. It's like a two way street versus a one way street. Right? right. Um, you, those old ATMs have two one way streets in it, right? Where the cash is always going one way on the deposit, and it's always coming the other way on a withdrawal. Right? That two way street allows that cash to go into the mechanism, and um, it validates it. To make sure that it's valid money, and immediately can recognize that it's uh, a valid, uh, a valid piece of cash, and then it'll take it and sort it into the right denomination inside the machine, and put it into the right place so that the next customer that comes that needs it that specific denomination, they'll take it out. So if you're coming up to an ATM and depositing a hundred dollars that your grandma gave you for your birthday, um, those five twenties will go into the the twenties bin within the ATM and then I come up and I need to withdraw eighty bucks right and I'm going to withdraw four twenties and I'm going to get those four twenties that, that you just put in um, and no one has to go behind the scenes and count it and sort right. it and validate it and store it because the the mechanism took care of all that for you so um, again you still need some attention because nothing's going to be perfectly balanced um, every Fair. once in a while you'll find a unicorn where that location is perfectly balanced yeah, right. and it's even better yeah. um, but the amount of um, manual intervention is significantly less at that point.
0: So to bring it back then to the kind of domino effects that cash management can have on day-to-day operations Mm -hmm. for these um, banking chains, uh, how does this actually affect the broader cash management ecosystem, right? Like what have you seen as the net effect of bringing cash recycling to the self-service kiosks, not just on the end user but on the institution itself beyond the manual labor of moving cash.
1: Well, and, and we talked about this a little bit, but it kind of get, really gets to that point about focus on the customer. At yeah, point, yeah. Right? Because um, that's really where the value comes from. I mean, you can you can do a business case on operational efficiency, and there's a, a real value there, and that's a great way to kind of start that conversation institutionally about whether it's right for for your financial institution. Um but then the kind of follow-on benefit becomes when you're spending less time and effort and energy doing those processes as well as managing those processes. Because when you have operational tasks that have to happen, you also have to have managerial layers to ensure right. that they're happening consistently um, and training layers to make sure that, custo- or that employees are constantly trained on the latest way to do things. Right. Um, when, when that happens less often, or in some cases can be removed entirely, Um, you have significantly less time and effort and energy spent on not just the people on the ground doing it, but also um, overseeing it and managing it at a network level to ensure that it's done consistently all the time because you can take that task out of the list and you don't have to ensure it's consistently done across the network anymore. Right. Which, again, frees up that kind of focus to be much more on the customers walking into your branch and You know, even the little things like the type of day they're having or, you know, how their kid's soccer game was or whether their, you know, kids are ready for that high school checking account now. Yeah, right. Um, And deepening that relationship into um, that customer base as a whole. And that's important. I mean, uh,
0: people want to trust their bank. People want to feel like they have a touch point with their bank. And, I mean, it's one of the institutions that people use the most every day. So it makes sense— That, uh, you know, whether you're a small local chain or you're a a national chain, that you're going to be able to reinvest some of that energy into the customer experience. Because, again, not to make everything COVID-related, but the last 18 months have sort of revalidated how the customer experience can drive a lot of not only sales, but also customer loyalty, brand awareness, when other aspects of, that uh, transactional relationship can get disrupted, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I think those sort of investments make a lot of sense. And I have a feeling they're going to continue. So I'm curious to see how that freed up time gets more innovative. So that's what I want to actually wrap the conversation with. Just peer into the crystal ball a little bit and and look ahead at what those domino effects could be. But um, let's start by, I guess, posing this question. What would you say is left for the industry to do to adopt ATM cash recycling capacities and technologies wholesale, right? Um, It's not a a 100% standard yet across all ATMs, so would you say that's a a lack of education across the space? Is it that they need it validated before they invest at scale? Where is that potential disconnect and what is Hyosung doing to um, bridge the gap?
1: Well, I I think actually one of the bigger parts is that it is a significant investment. Okay. And, and there's kind of two prongs to that investment, and one is um, there's some infrastructure that that needs to to be updated from a processing perspective and from a um, ATM management perspective um, because there's a whole lot of stuff, for lack of a better word, um, going on, that that goes on to keep ATMs operational. Sure. Right? And all of that stuff was kind of built on the underlying assumption that cash moved on two one-way streets inside those devices. Right. So now when you're breaking that assumption, you've got some... Infrastructure work to do, whether it's centralized uh, processors that are um, serving banks as their customers to process those transactions, or whether it's um, in house processing capabilities. Um, So there's some infrastructure upgrades that have to happen. Fair. Um, So that's a big one. And it's kind of getting your arms around those and just kind of putting it on the roadmap and and making it happen. Um, And uh, that's certainly something that we've, you know, try to provide uh, a lot of clarity on in the industry as as more and more customers are interested in this. Um, we just want to help chart that course, mm. right? Um, because we've gone down it a couple times already, so it, it helps to be able to kind of chart that course as opposed to looking at it inside um, your own institution walls and trying to figure out how to get there. Right. So that's that's one way where we've really been trying to kind of help make that navigation easier. Yeah. Um, but the other part of the equation, though, is that... Um, the ATMs themselves are significant investments, uh, and they have long lives. So um, it, a financial institution, for instance, that just opened a branch three years ago and purchased an ATM to go into that branch right. is not going to want to you know, throw away that perfectly good piece of technology right. um, that probably has a lot of residual book value still on their finances that they'd have to write off in order to uh, immediately install a new machine. So there's right. there's a time element that rolls through of as ATMs get older, you start to see them replaced with, um, you know, with, with a refreshed ATM that also has this technology in it. Right. But it's not something that you can kind of do in one fell swoop because um, y- you still want to get the life out of the investment that you made when you initially bought that machine. Fair. So um, there is some level of kind of gradual growth in it as well um that um, becomes challenging because now if you're uh, a bank that has a, a few locations and you've introduced this technology in one or two of your locations but you still got um, the older atms that still have life left in the haven't replaced yet sure um, there's that kind of interim step where you've got a couple of different models depending on your branch that you've also got it. Navigate so right. um, it, it's just being prepared for that and going in kind of eyes wide open. Right. Um, it, it really kind of uh, helps to then make that navigation easier as well. So there's a couple of different paths you got to chart, and, and neither of them are instantaneous. Right. Um, which is probably the the biggest thing is that it it's a it's a path. Yeah. So um, you know, just the the benefits are there, and and a lot more. Institutions are seeing that. So, a lot more institutions are willing to start um, on that path. On that path. Where in the past it was. It tended to be, oh, that's a, a that path is long and I don't even know where it's going, so I'm right. going to focus on some other things. Sure. We're also at a point now where um, it's one of those last big things out there that is consuming a lot of operational time and energy and budget right. um, for institutions. Uh, and uh, it has become more attractive from that perspective as well because attacking one of those last large big things to make your overall operation more efficient um, is, is something that that resonates. Right? Definitely. Um, Um, And it's just uh, a matter of, you know, charting that map and then kind of following it to its completion.
0: Definitely. Yeah, and I'm sure now with years of uh, validation from some of the, you know, I guess the risk takers that jumped on when the path wasn't as clear, now you can kind of see the end of the path, right? right? And so all the other players can see what the benefits are, and now it's more about uh, not necessarily validating this is worth your time, but how do we achieve... The strategy of the gradual transition, and
1: that's a that's a great way to put it. Actually, that's a really that's a really good insight. in that it's um, th- there's been an, enough people now that have gone down that path that y- you can see the footsteps, right? Um, and now it's just a matter of um, you know trusting that it's worked because it's worked for all those people. You're not right. walking into the unknown right. and having a fear of well, it looks good on paper, but we don't really know whether it'll right. pan out. Uh, it, I think we have enough evidence now that it's. Gonna pan out, so it's a matter of um, kind of finding the uh, institutional energy to right. go down that path. Because um, just you know, just like it's a big investment, it's also an, an investment in effort for an institution. So that it's it's got to be prioritized with the other things that are that are high on their list, um, and that we you need to make sure that you have the appetite to go down and do it. And right. th- so that's always becomes that conversation as well. And I think more and more um, companies are finding that as a priority now, so they're putting it into um, the top bucket of of the work that they want to do because it is, uh, that end state is so attractive now.
0: So if it is now really just a strategy of investment of resources at this Mm -hmm. point and understanding not only where to put the money, but where to put the the operational capital, I guess, right, of of actually restructuring your operations, restructuring uh, the training, too, to make sure that— Professionals on site know how to manage and oversee these technologies, right? What are some of your initial strategies for starting on that path, right? How would you consult folks out there who haven't made this transition to analyze their needs and to make those first few steps?
1: Well, and that's a that's a, a great uh, kind of way to kind of pull it all together, yeah. right? And that um, it, it's really uh, about introducing the technology, getting comfortable with the way it looks and feels and works, um, and then drawing the parallels. Because there's, a, like I said, you're still going to have to manage the device. It's not going to be perfect in and out all the time, and never have to touch it. Um, but it's still at its heart that same technology that you've had in your bank branch for 30 40 50 years yeah, right fair. Yeah. Um, so it's a matter of just kind of finding the key differences and and walking through those in a in a relatively transparent and detailed manner so that you can become comfortable with the way that works um, becoming comfortable with the actual mechanical technology itself because a lot of times um, you'll have your employees and they're refilling it when, it when you need to so it's just understanding where those differences are and and when you look at it, it's not going to be that foreign, right? The, the cassette that holds the money is still a cassette that holds the money. It, it's a little different because it has to put the money in in a little, slightly different way, but still when, when you look at it, you recognize that that's what it is. And when you open the back of the safe of an ATM, it's still a mechanism that holds all those cassettes, just like uh, the previous generation had a mechanism that held all the cassettes. So, um, it, you know, it, it, it becomes um, a little... The, the the first step is really kind of getting comfortable with it so that it's not some concept, but it's actual real, actually real, and you can see it and touch it and feel it. And you can see that it's not that much of a huge leap to institute operationally into your location. So really kind of getting comfortable to, with it is kind of that first step on that journey. Uh, yeah. Along with getting comfortable with the impact overall on your whole operational network. Right. Those two things kind of go hand in hand. It's the... Here's the benefit associated with it for your entire institution. And, by the way, here's the technology itself. And it really isn't going to be foreign, so it's going to be something that will be relatively easily absorbed. And here's kind of the three or four key places in your process map that you're going to have to think about those changes. Sure. And just helping get started on that conversation. Um, Because a lot of times when you're staring at that blank whiteboard and not really um, feeling comfortable what the first step is, just... Mm-hmm. showing where the first step yeah. is and kind of, you know, helping map out the the large rocks, so to speak, yep. um, uh, really helps bring that into focus and makes it real and makes it something that becomes navigable.
0: Yeah, something tangible. right? Yeah. And the last dot I want to connect here before sure. we wrap is we also talked a lot about the customer experience. So I'm curious how you see some of those initial strategies also playing into how... Um, you know, banks, retailers, again, how they should implement this with the customer experience in mind and making it a part of that holistic elevation of the customer experience. Any thoughts there?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the, and the one thing we we talked about is that it does um, cr- just create a scenario where that technology is going to be uh, available more often to sure. customers. Um, there is going to going be that kind of level of, of slight kind of uh, interaction change or behavior change, because now you've got a two-way street. The customer has to deal with that two-way street as opposed to two one-way streets. So there's a little bit of customer education there. Um, And I think framing that education in a way that talks about the advantages to customers. It's going to be available more often to you now. Um, New technology, cutting edge, you can kind of frame it in a way that puts the halo effect around the devices um, for your institution as a whole um, also becomes a... uh, It also becomes a a way to um, speak to the customers and connect with them about um, why the investment's important. It's an an important investment in making sure that the banking technology you expect to have available is always going to be available to you.
0: All right, Bill, I think that does it for the conversation. So thank you so much for joining us on the show today and helping us break down the state of cash in general, uh, how that leads to some challenges in cash management, and then where cash recycling has been getting validators across the market and why it is proving to be uh, such an improvement to efficiency as well as the customer experience. And I'm looking forward to seeing how banks that haven't adopted this at scale continue to do so, and I'm sure we'll do uh, several follow-up conversations as that journey progresses. So, Bill, thank you again for your time. And to our audience, again, we've been chatting with Bill Buddy, Vice President of Banking Strategy and Solutions at Hyosung. And, Bill, if folks want to find out more about some of your work at Hyosung, maybe want to get in touch or they just want to learn more about your company's solutions and services, how can they do so?
1: Well, they can certainly visit our website at uh, hyosungamericas.com. Perfect. Has a whole bunch of solutions as well as, uh, as you mentioned, we've got some writing and some blogs out there um, that provide a a little bit uh, of additional insight into some of the ways our technology comes into focus. So uh, it's a great resource. You can also uh, always there's a contact information on that website as well. You can always reach out to us.
0: Perfect. All right, Bill. Thank you again for your time. It's really been a pleasure today, and um. Looking forward to chatting again in the future.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great time. Absolutely,
0: yeah. And thank you everyone for watching another episode of Inspired Banking, a Hyosung podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you'd like previous episodes, you want to get in touch with the team, uh, or you just want to make sure you don't miss out on future updates to the show, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure that you're heading to our website, hyosungamericas.com. Again, Hyosung Americas, plural. I'm Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Inspired Banking.